Welcome to the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. I'm your host, Nika Moini. I'm a master's in international affairs student in international economic policy with a focus on development financing at Carleton University. I'm also a community leader, advocate of youth entrepreneurship, and author of Careers in International Relations, Generation Z's Guide to Global Citizenship. You may have found this podcast through your interest in development finance, or just ideas to make the world a better place. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. Today, we have an exciting guest here with us, Mary Ellen from Women's World Banking, and she's going to tell us more about the work that they do and more about the idea of financial inclusion and banking. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Wonderful. So let's get started by just you introducing yourself a little bit to us and telling us more about the work you do. Great. So my name is Mary Ellen Iskandarian. I am president and CEO of Women's World Banking, which is the global nonprofit that is dedicated to providing access to the full range of financial services for low-income women in developing countries. And we've been doing that um, next year. It will be 40 years, um, working exclusively through local financial service providers. So for many of our 40 years, that was local microfinance institutions because they were really the only um, financial service providers that were even looking at the low-income market. But as technology has driven the cost of providing financial services, even, you know, in in small sizes, uh, many other exciting players now have entered the space. And I think that's one of the most exciting parts of Women's World Banking's work today is the range of partners that we're working with. We're working with mainstream banks, um, lots of mobile phone companies, insurance companies, retailers, uh, fast-moving consumer goods companies, really anybody who's got a distribution line into the lives of low-income women. And so it's a really exciting time to be there. This will be my 12th year at Women's World Banking, uh, but I'm, uh, I'm every bit as excited, if not more so, with the range of opportunities that we can now um, work with to provide access to finance for women. Great, and that's a great introduction. So tell us more, maybe some examples of the kinds of projects that you work on, and what do you find exciting about this space right now? So I I think some of the most exciting work we're doing is, um, and and really, you know, represents a, a change in direction for a lot of mainstream financial institutions where they will, for whatever reason, maybe sometimes it's CSR, sometimes it's generally, you know, genuinely about market share. Um, I certainly like it when it's a business driver as opposed to a CSR driver, but sometimes you'll have a financial service provider that has made a decision to offer a product or a range of products to low-income people in general. And let's say they're reaching men, but the women are just not um, having the uptake that, that, their men clients are. And we found this very much the case in a project we're working on with a large uh, cell phone company in Pakistan, which 
found that they had only 12% of their clients were women. And yet the women were every bit as profitable as the men. They were using the same products. They were using them, you know, with the same degree of profitability. And so they were really interested in, in increasing the, the number of women clients. And they thought they needed different products. But when we started looking at the numbers, it, we saw very quickly that it was really more about how they were onboarding clients and how they needed to change that in order to appeal to women. And so we found that the main way that they were um, bringing clients into the company was through a, um, a large network of agents in sort of small shops and kiosks around the country. And 97% of those shops or kiosks, those agents, were men. And if a woman was sort of brave enough in Pakistan to go into that shop, she then had to give that man her cell phone number. And so, you know, for lots of, you know, social and cultural reasons, that just really wasn't happening. And so we've been working ever since with the company to expand their range of other agents and potentially build women agents. So that's where working with uh, some women retailers and some fast-moving consumer goods companies that are already uh, working through women shop owners, we're providing those women shop owners with another source of revenue. So being able to, um, you know, provide uh, financial services for this telco. But uh, it's also just a much more friendly and comfortable onboarding process for the women clients. And so I think I feel like that's a good example of the way we work. We're not we're not often really doing, you know, rocket science. It's usually just looking at a product or looking at a marketing campaign or looking at the messaging that accompanies a product and saying, you know, is that really appealing to women? Is that going, are women going to respond to that? Does that make sense? And does it meet a need of women? Because we know through a lot of our own research and other um, third-party research that women are great financial service clients. They are across the board, better loan repayers. They are more um, sticky savers. So they'll make smaller deposits, but they'll make them more frequently and they'll keep them in the bank. They have much higher um, retention rates, so they're more loyal clients. Women, regardless of the income segment, buy more insurance than men do. So there's a lot of really good reasons for financial service providers to go after women clients, but they have to do so in a way that's appealing to those, those women, and that's really where Women's World Banking comes in. Right, and have you seen that technology has really made this easier or kind of presented a set of different challenges with the growth of fintech and mobile payments and things like that? So I think it's really, it's, it's you know, easily a combination of, of both things. So on the one hand, mobile technology, cell phone technology is so well suited to the things that women place very high premium on in financial services. It is convenient. I mean, it's literally in your hand. It's secure. Um, you know, you can transact, you know, through the, the technology. You can keep um, the transactions confidential, which is really important to women. They don't really want other members of their family or their neighbors to know that they're saving or that they're borrowing and what they're 
what they're borrowing for, and they want to be able to have discretion over those um, over those those decisions. So the technology is really well suited to women, but we also see that women around the world own something like 300 million fewer cell phones than men, and they are much more likely to share a phone with another family member than own that phone. And then at the same time, they'll say, we've had many women say to us, I'm happy to share a phone to make phone calls or to get you know, weather information or crop information, but I'm never going to bank on a shared phone. So you know, physical access to the technology is really important. And it becomes even more important when you look at access to the internet beyond you know, the actual cell phone device. Women's access to the inter- internet is really one of the greatest gender gaps um, out, out there. Um, you mentioned fintech, and that's a slightly different story. Um, and in fact, the fintech models that kind of disrupt the traditional bank credit model have been very popular with women. So you've got um, some fintech companies that are using using alternative data to create credit scores. They're creating algorithms that aren't based on the traditional credit scoring uh, technology. And those have been really popular for women because they can use, say, you know, cell phone tap, uh, top-up data, for example, rather than, than credit data. Also, you've seen, again, in developed and developed, developing countries, uh, peer-to-peer lending models have really been um, very, very popular with women. And you're seeing uh, very large numbers of women business owners um, taking advantage of, you know, a less, uh, a less biased, frankly, um, approach to to credit. Right, and that's really awesome, and that's appeared in a lot of the research other institutions are doing as well. Um, so, what do you think are some challenges in terms of really getting this to reach? a larger scale and really empowering even more um, women and actually connecting them? Like what are, are there kind of policy challenges or is there a lack of adequate funding or what do you think are some of the challenges we're going to face going forward? No, that's, that's a great question. Um, Women's World Banking has really, has recently completed um, some really fascinating work looking at uh, seven of the largest markets, largest in the sense of if we can reach the un and underbanked women in these markets, we'll have reached more than 75% of un and underbanked women globally. And we've been really taken by surprise, but I suppose it's uh, it's a good thing as well, how similar the barriers to women's financial inclusion have been across those markets. Um, you mentioned policy, um, policy-related issues. The number one policy issue is around identity, and so many women currently who are on or uh, and underbanked don't have the, uh, you know, the identity, the, the the documentation to support opening a bank account. And so we're very much in favor of. Um, uh, policy solutions that look at easing know your customer regulations, so not requiring quite so much 
uh, documentation and answering so many questions, but also uh, the countries uh, and India is most notable that have gone into a biometric or um, you know some other digital identification system to for account opening have been able to open accounts at you know a tremendous rate. So we're very excited about. Um, you know, that model, and we're seeing India now doing what they're calling digital diplomacy and bringing their biometric identification model to other emerging markets, which is which is very exciting. But then some of the other barriers um, of, for the women themselves, we just find across the board, women are so much less aware of the opportunities that they have and what's actually available to them. Um, one of the things that we're doing a great deal of work in is in the field of government uh, benefits payments where you see many, many governments now digitizing uh, benefits transfers to, uh, you know, to citizens. And very often, the vast majority of those payments are made to women. And they often, if they're made digitally, then are made and deposited in a bank account. And we see in so many cases, most recently, we were doing some work with a conditional cash transfer program in Mexico called Prospera, and the women didn't even know they had a bank account. They knew that the deposit was made, and they would go to the ATM, and they would take all the cash out, but they didn't realize that there was an underlying bank account that they could continue to save in and that they could have other services um, provided to them. And so a large part of our work really is, is about raising that that awareness. Right. And then along the same lines of the challenges and the opportunities, um, what else do you think is needed to close the funding gap in sustainable development? Well, I guess that's a, you know, that's a, a larger question than just financial inclusion. I mean, I feel you know, we, we typically say that, you know, financial inclusion um, has an impact on, I think it's, you know, seven of the 17 uh, SDGs. But I really believe that if you had a equality of inclusion and financial participation, there really would be a greater, uh, you'd be making greater progress on all of, of the goals. Um, and so I think any government efforts towards financial inclusion, both in terms of, you know, banks, for example, are always saying that, you know, lending to this population is too risky and the capital charge that they have to take against very small loans, you know, doesn't make it um, worth their while. So, you know, could we have, uh, you know, could we be using government programs or other, um, you know, other funders who are willing to take greater risk provide some kind of downside protection to those financial service providers. I also think that, um, you know, banks are have been pretty slow to uh, um, embrace some of these markets themselves, but perhaps if they were to partner with more of the telcos, and we've seen some really um, interesting partnerships spring up because you know, the telcos have that last mile reach and the banks have a, a more of a culture of lending. So if you could kind of combine that distribution with that culture, um, it could be 
it could be very exciting and provide more funding directly to women-owned businesses. We know that uh, women-owned businesses are are women are creating businesses at a much faster rate than men, but have a much um, much greater difficulty at getting funding for them. So if we were to design some of these um, these funding instruments and and direct them to women business owners, I think you'd start to see uh, some real progress with the SDGs. Perfect. So that brings us to the end of the questions I had for you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights with the audience. And if people want to learn more about the work they do, where can they get more information? Well, I hope they'll come to our website, which is womensworldbanking, all one word, .org. And we'd love to see them there. There's lots about our, our research as well as our, our work on the ground and the partners that we're, we're working with. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And thanks for reaching out. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the $7 trillion ideas to save the world podcast. If you know someone who would love listening to this content, make sure to send it over to them so they too can learn about it. And together, let's change the world.